there is something strange occurring in America's national parks, and in these spin-off episodes of Spooky Island Radio, I will attempt to find out what. Missing 411 cases? Check. Bigfoot stories? Check. UFO encounters and more? Check. So join me once a month where I will delve into people's true encounters. Like I said, something strange is occurring in America's national parks. Welcome to the Missing 411 Spooky Island Radio Case Files. Hello. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that, but um, yeah. Welcome to my inaugural, is that how you say inaugural? Inaugural episode of Spooky Island Radio Missing 411 Case File episodes. And uh, these episodes, I want to be a bit more chilled out, a bit more relaxed. Um, not as not as all put together as my Spooky Island Radio main episodes. Um, but also not as just set in stone um as my spooky island radio campfire tales episodes either um i want it to be sort of more of a you're chilling out listening to me chat shit about all this shit that's happening in the national parks in america basically that's what this is about so not every single episode is going to be missing 411 um but they're all going to be branded underneath under the missing 411 name um, so there'll be things like Bigfoot stories, just in, like, in today's stories, um, it's just really weird things. And there is a missing persons case, um, but this was way before David Pilides coined the term missing 411. Um, so yeah, welcome to this new setup. Um, hope you all enjoy it. It's like I say, just, it's going to be me just talking to you down, um, chatting shit really but uh we'll chat shit together we'll have a good time um yeah so i hope you enjoy it um obviously follow you can follow me if it's your first time listening on instagram um at spooky island radio um and yeah let me know what you think of it on there also if it's your first time listening and you enjoy it um then next week i will have a full episode of spooky island radio coming out um and yeah leave me a review it'll help me out a lot um and with that said let's uh let's get down to today's story shall we Oh, and like one last thing, I'm fucking sick of saying this, but I've got a cold again. Ugh. So, uh, yeah, if uh, I'm coughing and sneezing, I'll try and cut it out as much as possible. Um, but for this week, enjoy my new, deeper, sexier voice. So, in today's episode, um, we've gone to one of America's most famous national parks, the Grand Canyon National Park, to be precise. To me, as someone who's never been to America, this scenery and area to me is just iconic um like oh it just looks so good like you've seen all the photos and if you've been there then you know just how incredible it it must be um the structure and landscape is incredible and as we go into exploring this episode it is riddled with strange occurrences and happenings and like i said before i want these episodes to be less structured than spooky island radio main episodes and campfire tales like I said, more of a conversation between you and me. 
So, uh, I mean, a pretty one-sided conversation. Um, but hey-ho, let's go. This week, I'll be taking, talking, sorry, about some strange experience from people in the Grand Canyon National Park. So, a bit of history for those not familiar with the area. The Grand Canyon is a mile-deep gorge in northern Arizona. Scientists estimate the canyon may have formed five to six million years ago when the Colorado River began to cut a channel through layers of rock. Humans have inhabited the area in and around the canyon since the last Ice Age. Ice Age, the real-life thing, not Ice Age, the film with the little mini sloth. The toxic dandelion. Not him, no. Completely different Ice Age, the actual Ice Age. The first Europeans to reach the Grand Canyon were Spanish explorers back in the 1540s. President Benjamin Harrison first protected the Grand Canyon in 1893 as a forest reserve and it became an official United States National Park in 1919. The Grand Canyon is located, like I said, in northern Arizona, just northwest of the city of Flagstaff. The canyon measures is absolutely huge. It's um, over 270 miles long, it's up to 18 miles wide and a mile deep in some places making it one of the biggest canyons in the world. Archaeologists have discovered ruins and artefacts from inhabitants dating back nearly 12,000 years. Prehistoric humans first settled in and around the canyon during the last ice age, like I already said, with mammoths, giant sloths and other large mammals still roaming North America at the time. Large stone spear points provide evidence of early human occupation. And this is something that comes up time and time again in my research into this area. It's a very spiritual place with Native American tribes still living in the canyon to this day. I think in this episode, what makes the most sense... Oh, well, what will make the most sense is that I have some small stories that build up the mystery of the canyon, which I'm going to explore first, and then the missing persons case right at the end. So let's jump straight into it. The first account today comes from a park ranger back in June of 2004. Now, she was out camping one night in a one-person small tent whilst out on a patrol. She woke up from a light sleep at about 2am to the sound of people talking. Obviously she thought it was strange, but it wasn't out of the realm... It wasn't impossible for people to be walking around and hiking through the night. She was a little bit spooked, but decided to open the tent door and what she saw still haunts her to this day. She saw what looked like nine or ten people walking and following a Native American elder who seemed to be guiding them somewhere. A cold chill ran down her spine as she realised that there was something not quite right about the people. They were all wearing 1950s clothing. These were not the type of people dressed for a night hike, let me tell you that. And why were they being guided by a Native American? It was so strange and she decided to follow them. There was a full moon and a clear sky that night so she could track them quite easily through the park. She kept her distance and stopped following them after about 20 minutes. She theorised that they were quite close to a Native American landmark called the Confluence, or as the local tribes call it, Sipapu. And it is thought that a lot of the local tribes originated from this area many years ago. It is said to be an area of high electromagnetic activity, which we know from paranormal investigations can be a sign of otherworldly activity. And you need to remember this with the next chilling detail of the story. 
And just to say those that aren't uh, familiar with it, uh, the confluence itself is basically where um, the water is like a turquoisey coloured water of the little Colorado River um, meets the bluey green water of the main Colorado River. Um, and it, from what I've seen on, on pictures and images, it's this little bit of land um, and the two the two rivers meet and then go off together. Um, so that's what I mean when I'm talking about something called the confluence. Anyway, right back to the story. The ranger returned back to her tent and it was not until she did some more research into the area and where she read up on something called the Grand Canyon Midair Collision. This occurred on Saturday, June the 30th, 1956 when a United Airlines Douglas DC-7 struck a Transworld Airline Lockheed L-1049 Super Constellation over the Grand Canyon National Park. Basically, what all that mumbo-jumbo means is two aeroplanes collided. All 128 on board both aeroplanes perished, making it the first commercial airline incident to exceed 100 fatalities. Bit of a morbid... Uh, statistic there, I think you'll agree. The aeroplanes had departed Los Angeles International Airport minutes apart for Chicago and Kansas City respectively. The collision took place in uncontrolled airspace where it was the pilot's responsibility to maintain separation or the see or be seen technique. Were these the ghosts of people who had lost their lives during the plane crash? Like she said, the main thing she realised was that they were dressed in 1950s clothing, right? Oh god, and after my coffin fit, I've got some thoughts on the whole situation. Um, yeah, I mean, like I like I did my research, it's it's an area of um, high electromagnetic activity, um, and in my my eyes, whether that can mess with aeroplane controls or dials, that sort of thing. So the planes didn't really see each other until until it was too late, of course. Um, and yeah, I mean, if this ranger, if this definitely happened, um, and this ranger had no prior knowledge of the crash, um, then, you know, it's, it's quite a significant thing that has happened. Um, and yeah, I like the idea of, uh, of a Native American elder helping the spirits, um, of those people that perished, because there's a lot of people. Um, so that's the main that's the main first thing. So like I said, there's there's a few different parts um, to today's episode, which all make up one big mystery. Um, so that's the first part done and dusted. On to the next. So like I said, on to the next layer of this Grand Canyon onion, if you will. Uh, one layer unpeeled, and on to the next, just like in Shrek. So. This takes us uh, to the same area, but in 1909, and the story of a man called G.E. Kincaid. He was a prospector who searched for gold and other materials, and he was travelling through the Grand Canyon and down the Colorado River when he saw what he, could see, what he thought was an opening in the cliff. He pulled his small boat to one side and climbed up the side of the bank to find entrance to a tunnel. But what was strange was that he noted that there was chisel marks like it was man-made. He took a small lamp into the tunnel, which at one point opened up to what he could see was an extremely expansive cave and tunnel system. He estimated that the caverns could hold up to around 50,000 50, 
50,000 people just from him looking round. It is no secret that all over the Grand Canyon there are cave systems that people can find and easily become lost in, but there are not a lot of reports of man-made tunnels, which made this discovery, if it's true of course, pretty incredible. What made it more incredible was that he found what looked like Egyptian hieroglyphics on the wall, as well as what seemed to be a lot of artefacts from ancient Egypt and Asia, gold goblets, sphinx cat statues and other treasures he claimed to find. And I mean, I know what you're thinking, how could these even get there? I mean, it's impossible. However, when he first made the discovery, there were scientists that created a boat with materials that only that the ancient Egyptians would have and sailed across the Atlantic Ocean with the crew and he actually made it. I mean, I know it sounds like it's impossible, but how could these artifacts, how other, what in what other ways, God, I can't get my words out, could these artifacts have come into this cavern within the Grand Canyon National Park? It's also good to think of some similarities between the Egyptian language and the, and the Native American tribes' languages. For example, the Hopi language word Soho means star, and the Egyptian word Sahu means the stars of Orion. It came out that some people are sceptical of what he found, but it can't really just be a coincidence with stuff like this similar language. Artifacts were then taken from the tunnel, apparently, and uh, sent to a secure location in Washington, D.C. But if you try to inquire about the relics, um, the U.S. government will deny their existence. I mean, is this proof of some sort of conspiracy? Also, it explains that there are certain areas um, of national parks that are controlled by the U.S. government, which you can't enter, even though it's a public park. Conspiracy... Conspiracy! And I mean, this section to me, it's... It sounds really far-fetched, but there obviously are tunnels in the Grand Canyon National Park, which aren't man-made. Obviously, they're, they're made by the wind, the, the water, uh, in years of erosion. Um, but then, it would, you know, do I believe, would I say that there are definitely no man-made tunnels there? No. And there probably is. Um, and then... Also, you have to take this guy on his word that all of this stuff happened, you know. It's not like it is now where you have all your camera phones on you all the time or, you know, you can get footage. It wasn't like that back in 1909. Um, but it was just something I came across that was from the same sort of area um, as a confluence from the first story. So I thought it was quite interesting and I thought oh, I should add that in. Um, which brings me on to the missing 411 sort of if you want to label it that part of this story where it all comes together and like i say i hear you it's a missing 411 case files episode and the past two stories have not been about that i mean basically what i'm just trying to do is build up an area build up an idea um of the spiritualness and mysteriousness of the area um where strange things happen planes crash, ghosts are seen, and apparently Egyptian treasure is recovered from man-made caves. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a strange place is what I'm trying to say. So this final piece of the puzzle is a missing persons case I'm going to explore today, about two people called Glenn and Bessie Hyde, and in what is what is dubbed the Grand Canyon Honeymoon Disappearance, for obvious reasons you're about to find out. 
Glenn and Bessie Hyde set out for the Bright Angel Trail of the Grand Canyon on November 18, 1928, and began walking back towards the Colorado River. The Hades had tied their boat up on a nearby shoreline. A homeowner scout, a homemade sorry scout or boat, they made and named Rain in the Face. They'd spent weeks living aboard it as they floated down the Colorado River on their honeymoon. The adventurous couple were aiming to set a speed record for navigating the Grand Canyon by water. If they were successful, Bessie would be the first woman to boat the entire length of the Almighty Canyon. I mean, pretty impressive, but not my idea of a good honeymoon. But <laughs> times have changed, I suppose. Their boat, a flat bottom river, was a flat bottom riverboat built by Glenn over the previous year, and it was found three weeks later. It was in working order, still floating in the river, with no one aboard and no signs of foul play. The boat was not battered by the rocky shoreline and showed no evidence of having flipped over, a clear indication that the young couple hadn't encountered dangerous waters in recent days. All of their food and personal possessions were still aboard. So, already to me, it's got some links to the 411 cases. Obviously, this predates the 411 cases. But they both disappeared near water. Um, I mean, that is the main thing that I've got. But, you know, like the boat was found, like there'd been no struggle, like almost like they just disappeared. Um, and, you know, that's really creepy. Like, why would a newly wed happy couple, where would they go? Were they taken? Did something happen? Well, maybe we'll find out. Let's carry on. In a retelling of the disappearance, it was reported that Emery Cole, a character who had previously spent some time with the couple, felt that Bessie may have become wary of the dangerous waterway, perhaps increasingly fearful as they approached some of the most dangerous portions in the canyon. But with nothing but hearsay and local gossip filling the news, local police were confused. By all accounts, Glenn and Bessie had left left his house in good order seeking to maintain their ambitious schedule. There was no definitive proof anything was amiss. After no word from their hides for several weeks, Elmery Colm be- began a search in mid-December. With the help of an aeroplane, the hides boat was found near mile 237 on the Colorado River on December the 20th. The last entry in Bessie's diary. Who writes a diary? Like, I don't. I feel like that's not a thing anymore. Like, if any of my listeners write a, use a diary, let me know because I think it's an urban myth that's just been phased out. Basically, no one uses a diary. Anyway, back on track. The last entry in Bessie's diary, which was still safely stored inside the boat, was from November thirtieth. It indicated their last position was near an area known as Diamond Creek. The bow line from the Hyde's boat was caught on something below the surface, which had kept it in place for an unknown length of time. For reasons unknown, when Emery, I'm never going to get used to this guy's name, Emery Combe cut the bow line and freed the boat, something for which he was greatly criticised later. So, what became of Glenn and Bessie, and what became of their boat? the rain in the face. The remains of Glenn and Bessie Hyde have never been found, nor has any new evidence emerged that might suggest their whereabouts or what occurred on that fateful day in November 1928. As for their boat, 
by all accounts after Emery Cole cut it loose near mile 237, it floated downriver until the waterway swallowed it. Who knows what evidence might have remained on board, and questions still persist as to why he felt it necessary to cut the boat free. And the legend of the Hyde's boat still persists among those who live around Diamond Creek, even to this day. So, it's a strange one. Like I said, it's not exactly got loads in common with the missing 411 cases. I just thought, uh, with the other two stories, it just builds up this idea that something strange is happening in this national park. Um, and especially this this area. Um, so, I mean, what actually happened here? I mean, we know that this newly married couple were on their honeymoon and the boat was discovered with no foul play evident, and the bodies were never found. I mean, there are many strange details to this story. I mean, do we think that maybe they found some cavern or cave system to take shelter in, only to never return to their boat? I mean, like I said, it's such a, it's such a spiritual area, and although Bigfoot and other cryptids are not really associated with this area of the USA, could they be using the tunnel system to move around the country? I know it sounds really far-fetched, um, and it's something that might come into to play in a future episode, um, but there's the whole hollow earth theory, so um, for those of you that don't know about it, it's basically um, that the earth is hollow, and that um, creatures and cryptids and beings um, can travel from one end of the earth to the other really quick so if you've watched King Kong like the most recent one I can't remember what it's called King of the Monsters no no King Kong vs Godzilla that was it, the newest one um, they explore the hollow earth so they go in the ground at one part and exit at another um, and it's a theory that's been out there for quite a while um, so could some of these caverns how many wonders can one cavern hold I cannot believe I just sang Little Mermaid, but I had to, it came into my mind. Um, yeah, you know, could these caverns all be connected somehow, and could beings um, and people unwillingly fall through them and enter, exit somewhere else? You know, did the couple stumble across some sort of cave and exited the cave in a completely different location, you know? I'm not here to say it's bullshit or I really believe it because I probably am more sceptical about the whole hollow earth thing but I present you the facts and uh, yeah, let you decide what you think um, but that's where we're going to call it quits for today I hope you enjoyed this sort of new style of episode um, uh, it will get better, trust me I've, I've had to do about 50-60 takes so I keep coughing really not very well but hope you enjoyed it um and stick around so in four weeks time we'll have another one of these episodes um so like i say hope you enjoyed it follow me on instagram at spooky Allen radio um, leave me a review um and yeah hope you enjoyed it and i'll see you on the next one okay bye <laughs>